0: This first episode of We Europeans is being released in conjunction with Students for Western Civilization's latest postering campaign, which is a protestation against recent threats to tear down or remove a number of sculptures and other symbols of European-Canadian history, culture, and identity. Students for Western Civilization presents We Europeans, a podcast on European-Canadian identity in the 21st century. In this episode, we will explore Canada's policy of multiculturalism. We will demonstrate how multiculturalism possesses not only the additive or constructive element about which Canadians have been thoroughly informed, but also a subtractive or destructive element, which is not as widely understood. We will argue that this subtractive element is best understood as ethnocide, which is defined as the deliberate destruction of the culture of a people. In order to illustrate this point, we will explore the parallels between the liberal project of multiculturalization and the neo-Marxist project of decolonization. Finally, we will argue that these two projects, although driven by different motives, ultimately arrive at the same result, the destruction of Western civilization. What is multiculturalism? Often the term multiculturalism is used to refer to a situation where multiple cultures live together within the same shared space, such as, for example, in New York or Brazil. But for the purposes of this podcast, we will use the term multiculturalism to refer exclusively to the guiding philosophy of the Canadian government, the official title of which is multiculturalism. Canada's policy of multiculturalism was implemented in 1972 as an attempted solution to ethnic conflict. The policy is modeled after an older political philosophy that was used to resolve religious conflict in Europe, especially England. The solution at that time was to sever the formal relationship between religion and government. The term that's most often used is separation of church and state. The theory behind the separation of church and state is that no single religion should be uniquely enforced with government power, because doing so marginalizes those religious groups that are not officially institutionalized and puts them in a politically vulnerable position. Multiculturalism is a duplication and extension of this model, repurposed to address cultural and ethnic tensions. Just as the religious model separates church and state, multiculturalism is the separation of nation and state. Multiculturalism views a country not as a vehicle to advance and protect the interests or values of a specific group, but instead simply as a space for economic exchange, with no assumed national mission and no specific people for whom the country exists. Multiculturalism says, This space belongs to everyone, and therefore, to no one in particular. The multicultural model departs from the traditional view of a country as a nation-state, whereby the state, or government, exists to serve its nation, or people. For example, the Japanese state exists to serve the Japanese people to reinforce their values and protect their interests. The multicultural model, however, is premised on the idea that the country doesn't have a people. Its people doesn't even exist. The traditional model assumes that the people belong to the country and the country belongs to the people, but the multicultural view is that the country belongs to no particular people, and no particular people belong to the country. Thus, Canada's policy of multiculturalism is defined by two characteristics. The first is that there is no default or true idea of what it means to be Canadian. There is no culture or people or ethnicity that define what it means to be Canadian, and no standard against which Canadianness is measured. The second characteristic is that because there is no one group that defines Canadian, Canada does not exist to serve the interests of a particular group, culture, people, or ethnicity. Because, from a multicultural perspective, a Canadian people doesn't actually exist. They have no legitimate claim to Canada over any other people. Chinese, Indians, Filipinos, Pakistanis, etc. have just as much claim to Canada as anyone. Multiculturalism and Ethnocide From its beginning, Canada's multicultural project was plagued by a structural flaw, which is that its foundation was built on uneven terrain. The flaw is rooted in the historical fact that Canada did not begin as a multicultural project, but instead, the multicultural model was imposed on an already existing nation-state, whereby the state acknowledged the existence of a definable Canadian people, a people characterized, in large part, by their European lineage, history, and culture. Thus, assuming that a Canadian people, or a Canadian nation, does indeed exist, a fact once explicitly acknowledged by the Canadian government itself, by which the new multicultural regime now denies, negates, and rejects, then what are the implications for the future of that people? Naturally, a conflict of interest arises between the pre-existing nation with whom the state was formally aligned, and the advocates of multiculturalism, whose policy necessarily assumes that a Canadian people does not exist. The implication of this contradiction is that the project of multiculturalism changes from a merely passive project of being multicultural, that is, operating with a neutral blindness to different cultures, to an active project of multiculturalization. The process of dismantling the society of the former nation-state in order to transform it into a nationally and culturally neutral or culturally secular space. In other words, if the successful operation of the multicultural model assumes that a Canadian people does not even exist, then in order to function, multiculturalism must make them not exist. A holistic understanding of the multicultural project is not complete without appreciating that multiculturalism is not merely an additive project, in the sense of bringing in other peoples and cultures, but it is also a subtractive, destructive project, which necessarily involves removal and erasure. This process of erasing, subtracting, or removing the cultural and political remnants of the Canadian nation from shared common spaces is appropriately understood as ethnocide, the deliberate destruction of the culture of a people. The term ethnocide was coined by Raphael Lemkin, a United Nations lawyer who created the term to refer to a concept of cultural genocide. Types of Ethnocide In discussions of ethnocide, it is often noted that cultural destruction is not clearly distinct from the physical destruction of the actual people. Instead, cultural destruction should be understood as one end of the broader continuum of genocide. This becomes clear when we consider the different forms in which ethnocide manifests. On the one end of the continuum is what I would term peripheral ethnocide, and further along the continuum is what I would term structural ethnocide. Peripheral ethnocide involves... Removing our cultural symbols and erasing our history. Cultural symbols and historical memory are politically significant because they serve as political glue or mortar that unifies a people as a political force. Having cultural symbols around which to unify helps a people to better conceptualize themselves as an entity and unify in defense of that entity. Concrete examples of the peripheral ethnocide of European Canadians include Removing European-Canadian heroes from public spaces, such as the decision in 2016 to remove Robert Borden from our banknotes and replace him with Viola Desmond, in 2016 the removal of Johnny MacDonald's statue from Wilfrid Laurier University, and in 2017 the calls to remove Johnny MacDonald's name from public schools, calls to remove Egerton Ryerson's name and statue from Ryerson University. Removing from Halifax any statues and other references to its founder, Edward Cornwallis. In 2014, the removal of the sculpture of Winston Churchill from its place of prominence in Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto, where it used to stand facing Queen Street, but now stands with its back to the street, tucked into the corner, where it's not even visible to the passing crowds. Another example of ethnocide is the movement to remove the Eurocentric perspectives from our school system thereby erasing our perspectives on history, the world, and ourselves. Further along the spectrum of ethnocide is structural ethnocide. Structural ethnocide is more political than peripheral ethnocide in that it involves disempowering European Canadians of our ability to assert ourselves in general. Structural ethnocide is the bridging point along the continuum between peripheral erasure to more violent forms of oppression. Concrete examples of structural ethnocide include Anti discrimination laws. Anti discrimination laws strip Europeans of our classically liberal right to decide what we do with our property and our resources, who we do business with, and who we employ, effectively co opting our property and giving it to other peoples. Affirmative action and diversity policies. While it is illegal for Europeans to discriminate, it remains legal to discriminate against us. Not only is it legal, but with affirmative action policies whereby the government subsidizes companies that meet diversity quotas, not only is discrimination against Europeans legal, it's encouraged. The political implication of this policy is that the government is actively working to remove Europeans from positions of power and influence, even in private companies. Mass immigration. Immigration policies that reduce our proportionate numbers undermine our democratic autonomy, our powers of self determination, our ability to elect our leaders and decide on the policies that affect us. Co-opting the Canadian people's resources and institutions. Like a pathological autoimmune disorder, whereby the immune system begins to attack its own cells, the process of multiculturalization co opts all of the resources of a people, including their government institutions, and uses those resources to destroy the very people who created them. A particularly perverse element of the co-opting phenomenon is in regards to the military and paramilitary forces, such as the police. The Canadian nation has been paying into and working to strengthen these forces under the assumption that they existed to protect them. But now, as enforcers of multiculturalism, those military and paramilitary forces are being used to enforce the laws intended to erase the very people who built them. To be clear, while it is my position that the process of cultural erasure is indeed deliberate, Such a position does not necessarily presume, on the part of multiculturalizers, a hostile or antagonistic sentiment towards the West, white people, or European Canadians. Indeed, my position is that multiculturalism is a genuinely liberal project, motivated by liberal values such as goodwill and a desire for peace and strong economy, and that the ethnocidal expression of multiculturalism is possible in large part because this ethnocidal effect is not fully realized by its good-willed liberal advocates. However, the same cannot be said for the Marxist project of decolonization. What is decolonization? Critical race theory is a neo-Marxist doctrine composed of a package of related ideas. To begin with, critical race theorists assume that race is an illegitimate category with no concrete scientific basis. To them, race is a mere illusion created by white people as part of a conspiracy to justify the colonization of the world and to divide the working class. With the invention of race, so the narrative goes, came the invention of racism itself. Critical race theorists define racism very differently than the rest of the English-speaking world. To them, racism is not merely the thoughts, actions, or feelings of individuals. Instead, racism is an entire systemic phenomenon, which manifests as the system of white supremacy. In the eyes of critical race theorists, the assumption of white racial superiority is ingrained and interwoven into the very fabric of all white Western countries. Because white people are raised in a culture built on this assumption of white superiority, according to the critical race theorists, all white people are racists. Furthermore, because the critical race theory understanding is that racism is necessarily rooted in assumptions of white superiority, it is inappropriate to label non-white people as racist, no matter what those non-white people say, do, or feel towards white people, or even other non-white people. As evidence of the fact that all Western countries, including multicultural Canada, are actually white supremacist countries, critical race theorists point to the fact that expressions of European cultural identity are found everywhere. We speak a European language. Our government is built on European philosophy. We are surrounded by buildings built in the style of European-derived schools of architecture. Our television shows and films are filled with white actors. White slash European perspectives on history are taught in our schools. Flesh-colored band-aids and crayons are the colors of European flesh, etc. All around them, European-derived individuals find their ethnic identity affirmed and reinforced. In other words, Our societies are white supremacist in the sense that, within the West, white European Western culture is supreme and dominant. European-derived societies are not culturally neutral. They are, in their character, European. From this view, there is no difference between a white supremacist society and simply a white society. In their eyes. The mere fact of white people's societal existence is itself inherently racist, supremacist, and immoral. White people are racists because we exist on a cultural, societal, and political level. In their eyes, it's not just that we are all racists. It's that we are racism. Neo-Marxists are opposed to the continued existence of white societies for two reasons. The principled leftist Marxists, many of them white themselves, believe in equality as the highest ideal. Thus they view the hegemony of European culture within European-derived societies as a negative because they believe that a space should be equal in every way, including culturally and politically. The second motive among those who fall under the classification of neo-Marxists comes from those non-European ethno-nationalists who attach themselves to the political power of the Marxist collective, and use it to advance their own ethno-nationalist agendas. These ethno-nationalists are motivated in large part by resentment of Europeans, which is fueled by their comparatively lower social and economic status, as well as historical grievances flowing from colonization and the unrivaled military dominance of the European people. This is where decolonization comes in. Marxists seek to dismantle and deconstruct the system of white supremacy. Their professed aim is to make Western societies no longer Western, but culturally and politically neutral, equal, or secular. The overlap between Marxist decolonization and liberal multiculturalism is self-evident. The defining difference between the two projects is essentially rhetorical, semantic, and thus superficial, but the ethnocidal results are identical. Whereas the liberals behind multiculturalism do not necessarily hold hostile sentiments towards the West and are instead motivated by liberal ideals of peace and good economy, the Marxists behind decolonization view the West and Europeans-slash-white people with hostility, hatred, and contempt. Appreciating the parallel between these two approaches is useful in understanding that multiculturalization is certainly not a benign project because it employs identical means and technique, as those groups who are fervently hostile and antagonistic towards Western civilization. Conclusion In conclusion, a complete and holistic understanding of multiculturalism necessarily involves acknowledging both its additive or constructive element as well as its subtractive or destructive element. Because we're speaking about the culture of a people, this subtractive element is appropriately understood as ethnocide. Parallel to the project of multiculturalization is the neo-Marxist project of decolonization, which in practice and technique is identical to the destructive expression of multiculturalization, but it is characterized by its hostile motives and far more explicit assertion of its destructive agenda. Appreciating the parallel between the destructive function of liberal multiculturalization and Marxist decolonization, and correctly labeling it as ethnocide helps European Canadians to better identify and conceptualize it as a threat, and hopefully will inspire them, as well as Europeans around the globe, to recognize the need for an organized resistance in defense of our collective interests.